backroom politics. Hey, good afternoon. Out there in Radio Land, it is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics Live from Shelly's Live. Please start that over again. We're actually broadcasting now live from the National Press Club, but this is a remote edition of Backroom Politics, as I've been you greetings from the number one city in the country, according to U.S. World, uh, US News World Report. I bid you greetings from the great city of Charleston, South Carolina. And joining me as they do every Tuesday uh, for the best political talk show you've never heard of. Uh, on line one, we've got the man that we know as the one retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Hello, Ken. Hello from Southern California, Justin. Wow, we're all disparate all over the place. This is fantastic. And two, he is the man that we know as the former Democratic political operative. Uh, he is a bar-certified attorney in the great and your district of Columbia. He is Daniel Lipner Esquire. Dan, how are you? I'm doing well, Justin. How are you? I'm doing with all technical difficulties. I'm back. Uh, Alan Moore, I'm just going to slip it right into you. Alan, can you hear me from Charleston? I, I can hear you. I'm great. great. We, got everybody, we got everybody around the uh, around the table. Let's, let's go ahead and kick off real quick. Uh, the, the one thing we definitely want to cover here is a lot of the changes that continue with the Trump administration, one week after uh, the hiring uh, or the firing, rather, of National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, uh, the Trump administration has, in fact, uh, has in fact hired the Lieutenant General, who is uh, the man in charge of now Army, uh, the Army. Uh, the well, I don't even know, what is the name of the uh, facility he's in charge of? But he's a three-star general who served in three uh, in two of the Iraq wars. Um, general, oh help me out here, Ken McMaster. McMaster, thank you guys. Uh, general McMaster has accepted the position as the National Security Advisor for the Trump administration. Um, Ken, let me start with you as a former flag officer yourself. How, we're, we're seeing a lot of people that are actually very surprised, one, that Trump would take somebody like McMaster's, and two, that uh, he would accept the job. Why is everybody surprised by this pick? Well, I think most of the time, most the, the main reason that people are very surprised by this pick 
is as well as a number of the the general and flag officers he's brought into his administration uh, is because of some of the rhetoric that he espoused during the campaign. I, I especially remember one one afternoon where he referred to the generals as rubble, and it would appear that you know not not all the uh, the rocks in that rubble were worthy of being thrown away. Um, you know, more specifically around General McMaster, this this is a this is a good pick. Uh, this guy's smart, uh, and I think the the one thing that 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 stands out for me uh, about him is some of the writings that he has um, done over the years, where he talks about the failure of military leaders uh, being willing to have the moral courage to speak truth to power. Uh, specifically, he's written about the uh, the Johnson and Kennedy administrations that uh, yielded to the the views of the uh, the politicals inside of their administrations, rather than listening to the uh, the uh, the generals that were pretty adamant in telling them, "Hey, this this Vietnam thing, this is not going how we thought it was going to go." Uh, he's got McMaster's has got a reputation for 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 speaking truth to power, and I think that may be another reason why. A number of folks are alarmed that Trump would would pick him to come into his his organization, because you know by all appearances to date, uh, the the Trump administration does not seem to be willing to hear news or information that's counter to what uh, they think is is good for them to hear. So um, you know, thumbs up for picking General McMaster. Uh, I think uh, the rest of us, um, both those uh, in the military, uh, those of us who have served, and I guess the public at large, are standing, you know, or sitting, waiting to see what happens next, because that, truthfully, we will be uh, will be uh, a, a good indicator. I think the, uh, the the NSA is in a in a bit of a mess right now with uh, Flynn's um, entry, uh, things going uh, kind of haywire, and now his departure and a new boss. In less than a month, so it's going to be interesting. Well, Alan, more. Let me go to you on this. With with the addition of Steve Bannon, the advisor to the president, to the National Security Committee, the, is there a potential for uh, head-to-head combat between Bannon and his civilian alt-right mindset versus the outspoken? Not conventional lieutenant general that we see in McMaster. Well, I think that that there's always a potential for Steve Bannon to have some conflict on national security matters, simply because he has a background, uh, he has a point of view, and he has the confidence and trust of the president. So. It's it's not a matter of whether he is formally designated member of of the NSC, the National Security Council. It because in times past there have been political appointees who have uh, sat in on those meetings. They they weren't ever formally named. Um, the real question is how active he is, how he behaves. Um, my hunch is that they're so many long knives out for Bannon that he will, he will sit uh, quietly. He will, he will make some comments, but he, remember he is going to be one of the last people who speaks to the president before any decision is made. So uh, there's always been the potential there and it really is going to depend not on him being named, but on how he behaves. 
Dan, Dan Whitner, is, is that the sense that you would see coming from uh, the Democratic side? Or is there some deep concern that although getting high praise from both sides of the aisle, uh, McMaster could actually go head-to-head with somebody like Bannon or Trump himself? Well, that's to be seen, whether or not he can go head-to-head with either Bannon or or uh, Tough Guy 45, as uh, as I think I will be calling the current president now. Um, but I, I'm actually in the crowd that looks at this with a sigh of relief that most of the foreign policy team, uh, Flynn was the only crazy guy in the bunch to make it all the way through, and now Flynn is gone. So Bannon's the last of the, the, of the scary people at the table. And everyone else, at least on the outside, both Democrat and Republican, seems to have issues with him. Um, so hopefully Bannon's lonely voice will get even lonelier. We, in, in fairness, two things here. One, we don't know what Bannon's voice is going to be, and we shouldn't pretend that we do. But I am glad to see the Dan, after giving the president a gentleman C minus uh, last week for his appointees, seems to be reassessing and maybe uh, is uh, is willing to up that grade a bit. Well, mind you, th- th- he did get to resubmit his homework on this one, so it is worth noting it was initially a failing grade. <laughs> well, let's remember that uh, that the head of the NSC is not a member of the cabinet. But he does have a very important role. What he does, remember the, the role here of the NSC is he, he is supposed to be the broker who helps gather disparate points of view from various departments and agencies in the, in the national security space, collects that information, present, well, presents it, shares it, gathers input, summarizes it, and gets it back to the, to the president. Um, it isn't that these guys are potted plants without points of view, but historically the, the folks who have done the best in that job are not people trying to push a big agenda of their own, but who are honest brokers among the other uh, significant players. Right, but you can also, me, taint, you can also you taint that point of view, though. Well, well, hold on. Let me let me go to Ken. Let me go to Caroline on this because Ken, uh, uh, Alan brings up a really good point. Is is this a job that you could see McMaster doing long term, or is this is McMaster being set up for failure? No, I don't. I don't think he's being set up for failure. I, I, I you know, McMaster is not unique uh, in this role, being a, uh, a serving serving line officer. I remind you that Colin Powell uh, was in the same role uh, and went into that role from being a serving line officer. So I think, as in most leadership positions, the ability for this person to be successful uh, is really going to be directed directly related to the to the to the things that Alan pointed out. He's got to basically get a, get along with his peer agencies. He's got to be able to not not just uh, be able to sort through the different points of view and the different information that they have, um, but he's also got to be able to maintain those relationships. Agree some of the assessments that they bring forward uh, that they bring forward. Now, I, I think good a good say uh, national security advisor 
will will bring all of the you know the different points of view and say, sir, I think this is my recommendation. But at the end of the day, I don't think he's being set up for failure any more than than any of his predecessors were. I mean, you know, Alan, we've been hearing reports today that uh, McMaster was pretty much given carte blanche to set up the council and his team as he saw fit with minimal input from Trump. Is that a sign that Trump is starting to realize these are the people who really know the day-to-day issues related to national security? I should probably stay hands off a little bit from them. Or is this well, uh, a red herring that Trump, in fact, is and could potentially uh, meddle in getting uh, McMaster successful as a national security advisor? You know, it, there's so many things we don't know here. Remember that that it has wide, it was widely reported that McMaster was not the first choice to re- replace Flynn. Uh, there was a General Harvard who who was supposedly the first choice. He was a re- uh, important to notice a retired uh, general, retired three star. Um, who reportedly declined the offer, uh, at least in part, because he didn't have as much say as he as he thought he should have over who would staff the NSC. What's what's curious about that is that within days McMaster is selected, and much is made about the the role and authority that he McMaster will have in staffing the NSC. It, there's there's something a little fuzzy here that I that I have not yet figured out, and it remains to be seen. One of the first things that was interesting is that the chief of staff to to Flynn, um, uh, General Rogers, I think, was a candidate for the top spot. Didn't get it, but almost at the same time that McMaster was announced as the new head, it was announced that his continuing chief of staff will be Rogers. Whose choice was that? Now, my, my, my hunch is in this business of choice in, in, in senior cabinet positions is a very interesting subject. And maybe it's a a subject for a, for a, a different segment, but typically almost no cabinet or senior person has carte blanche to bring in whomever he wants. What he does have is the ability to say no to somebody he doesn't want and to bring forth names of people he does want. The White House never, never should and never does give up the the ability to say, we hear you, we want you to be happy, but not that one. Um, so there, there, there's let, let's watch this play out. They, they've obviously realized they've got to give these guys – uh, whether it's the head of the NSC or cabinet members, significant say over who their dep- their senior deputies are, but not total say. Dan Whitmer, I mean, do you, do you agree with uh, Alan's assessment on this, or is Trump in fact caught between a rock and a hard spot, already being turned down by uh, one current line admiral from the U.S. Navy, can Trump let him really pick his crew the way he wants it? Well, I think that was the the favor that was done uh, 
for McMaster, the fact that the person who was previously floated publicly said no. Um, you can read into whether or not the 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 pay cut and everything else, the reasons given for not wanting the job, are which ones are a fact and which ones are fiction. But the favor that was done for McMaster now is somebody publicly turned it down. So, but he said yes, and he also has a day job to go back to. Admittedly, it's in uniform, so he still has to salute the commander in chief, regardless. So he has a little so more flexibility what? saying, like, looking at, listen, if it's not me, who else you got? So he, he is in a higher, a better position than any of the other names that were floated. Whoa, 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 whoa. hang on a second. It's, it's, yeah, as Ken, as, as Ken pointed out before, McMaster <laughs> is not a retired general. He is a sitting, serving general. When the commander-in-chief says, I want you to do this, you don't have any choice. You don't have the ability to write conditions. You don't have the ability to say no unless you're prepared to resign. Is, is that a fair uh, take on how it works uh, if you're active duty, Ken? Yep. So, Ken, are you saying... I, I like the choice. I I like the choice. Don't get me wrong. Um, and, and the fact that he is getting so many complimentary uh, reactions uh, from from around town is good. Now re- he he had a he was he was very very successful in the field. Um, he has not spent the kind of in depth time in Washington that you would normally have uh, at at the NSC. I think though that because he is so highly thought of, um, uh, the book that he wrote that was already talked about, which grew out of a a PhD thesis uh, of his, um, and just the, the 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 overall high quality gives uh, of the man gives people uh, a lot of confidence that that he's that, that that he's got most of the attributes that you would want uh, for for this job. But it wasn't as though it was just very different than than, than somebody who's out of government to say, "Hey, do you want this job?" To say to, to a serving general. We want you for this, and it's yes, sir. Let's figure out how to well, make wait, this happen. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We have an admiral. We have the top uh, SEAL admiral who was asked by Trump to take this job, and basically told Trump respectfully no. He was retired. Reported by Barry. Huh? He's retired. He's retired. Is he retired? He's retired. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Yeah, um, amongst his reasons for saying no, I mean, he did say not having carte blanche for hiring who he wanted to. He also threw in the pay cut. So you can take which one, uh, which is the actual reason. Can we acknowledge that this is what was reported? I don't believe he has said this stuff publicly. No, no, I, I, I agree with you, Alan. I agree with you absolutely. The question is which one is credible. And... So the suggestion, all the thing, all the items can be true, and anyone who's worked in politics knows that you, you, there, there is a graceful way of exiting the field. The the bad mouthing the president is not necessarily, or at least bad mouthing the way the president is doing business is not the most graceful choice. The I can't afford to do it is a far better choice. So the the 
family considerations and that and that kind of business is the preferred way of, of exiting the field. So, well, so yes, it was so both we were reported. The question is which one is true. But well, it, 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 it's, it doesn't have to be one or the other. The, the thing that's embarrassing here um, the, is that, that no White House should ever get itself into a position of letting it be known who it is going to offer a job to and then have that not work out. Now, hopefully, we're only one month in, and, uh, and hopefully they'll get that figured out. That was an embarrassment. Uh, that should not have happened. You, it's embarrassing to the president, and it just shouldn't happen. You 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 figure this out. You f- decide on who your candidate is. You make sure everything is cool, and then you move forward with it. You don't make a big point of saying, "Here's our first choice." Oh, turned us down. That's just that that is an unforced error. It should not happen. Uh, having said that. The the reaction to McMaster is uh, kudos all around, and let's, uh, for the sake of the country and the NSC, uh, let's be glad about that, and let's hope it works. Let let's hope that uh, uh, that we've we've closed the loop on the national security team, um, and that that it will function well. And Alan, that's a great segue. We're going to uh, coming up on the bottom of the hour. We're going to take a quick three-minute break. When we come back, we want to talk about the president's uh, rally speech down in Melbourne, Florida, where he doubled down on just about everything. And that's going to lead us in also later in the show. We're going to talk a little bit about the war between 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and the media itself. Is this healthy and can it be sustained? But we're going to talk about the president's rally down in Melbourne when we come back. This is background politics, normally live from the National Press Club, but today broadcasting remote. We will be back in three minutes, so uh, stay with stay with us if you can. This is backroom politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. I saw you last night and got that old feeling. When you came inside, I got that old feeling. The moment that you danced by, I felt a thrill. And when you caught my eye, my heart stood still. Once again, I seemed to feel that old yearning. And I knew the spark of love was still burning. There'll be no new romance for me. It's foolish to start for that old feeling is still in my heart I 
This is Backroom Politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. on the air from places all over the country, from Charleston, South Carolina, Southern California, and, of course, holding down the port up there in the nation's capital region, Dan Lipner. And I'm, I am remiss. I, I fail to give our normal introduction to the man that we know currently residing on line four, but he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents, Longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider, and a very distinguished and handsome and patient fellow from the Simpson Center. He is Secretary Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. Hello, Dan and Ken. All is right in the world. All is right in the world. Let's talk about uh, what happened in Melbourne, Florida over the weekend, in case you did not see it. Uh, after a bizarre, I mean, what only can be listed as a bizarre press conference that happened the week before, the president decided to take his show on the road to your nation's space coast down in Melbourne, Florida, and in an airplane hangar, which apparently housed, according to most estimates, better than about 10,000 people held a rally that was reminiscent of Trump in 2015 during the uh, primaries. Let me start first with the press conference. Dan Lipner, I know you have a litany of just odd observations. What happened in East Room during that bizarre encounter with the media? Well, for starters, it was – so, yeah, it, it was an interesting event, and I actually did my best to watch much of it as possible. Um, it was a very, very long press conference. I believe the, it was 77 minutes, so an hour and a half long press conference, or close to an hour and a half long press conference uh, in the East Room with every media outlet conceivable so this is beyond just the white house press room uh that is in the actual white house building not the press room that is across the street in the old executive office building also known as the eisenhower executive office building um so it went on forever uh to the president's credit he took questions and he answered well sort of answered questions uh from friend and foe alike uh the most 
interesting, if not outright odd, was a reporter from a a Orthodox Jewish newspaper whose name I'm is escaping me. Uh, a report, young reporter, ortho, also Orthodox Jewish, um, from New York City, uh, asked a question about the rise in in uh, anti-Semitic hate crimes in the United States, uh, that the president chose to take the question as, as an attack on him, to which his response was, I am the least anti-Semitic person ever. Nobody is less anti-Semitic than me. See, my, my, my son-in-law is Orthodox Jewish. My daughter is Jewish. Nobody is more anti than me or more anti-anti-Semitic than me. And it, it was a very odd exchange. Also, after him uh, ordering the reporter to sit down and stop asking the question, it was unusual to say the least. It wasn't the only takeaway from the press conference, but that was the one that kind of jumped out at me as just weird. It was a, it was a free uh-huh. gimme for the president. He could have simply said, okay. you know, I'm going to order my Justice Department to look into this and make sure we don't allow that and use the power of the executive office to do everything we can to protect people. That's not what he did. <laughs> let me, yeah, let me, let me offer a, yeah, thank you. A slightly different take. Uh, Cause I was listening to it as well. I wasn't sure where the question was going. He didn't get to finish the question as I saw it to get to the point of, of talking about, uh, these anti-Semitic acts that are beginning to show up more and more around the country. What, he, he certainly didn't finish the question. What, what the president thought, and as, you, as, as Dan correctly reported, uh, the, the, what the president was anticipating, because he said, sit down, I know what your question is. And in fact, he didn't, was how I saw it. He thought that the question was, why are you? Uh, uh, doing things that 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 are somehow in some way, shape, or form uh, anti-Semitic, prompting the president to defend himself in the way that Dan described. But I didn't, I I I didn't hear the whole question come out. Neither did the president. What I think happened is the president thought he knew where it was going, didn't, and then fired back with this very sort of. Uh, defensive comment about about his own personal views and 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 never got to the point that the questioner was trying to 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 make now i do know that today the president did uh make some comments uh about about how inappropriate and wrong and dangerous anti-semitic actions are uh but it's a little it 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 was you know there was a time delay plus there were some events over the weekend that were that were particularly alan let me let me me jump in here real quick because that's the question i want to ask is 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 trump doing this out of feeling pressure is this something he actually believes is and and how does he do it it's almost like he was guilted into it because of the fact that you now have reports such as what came out of St. Louis over the weekend about uh, vandalism and attacks on synagogues. Uh, you you heard other instances of anti-Semitism. It's not a widespread rampage that some are reporting, but is this a matter of 
he's doing it and he's just kind of going through the motions? Or is this something he can legitimately prove, being that he has the support of the alt-right the way he does? Well, so I have to take him on this on this one for various reasons. I, t- I take him at his word, and not least of which is, as Dan mentioned, he his his son-in-law is an Orthodox Jew. His daughter converted to, to Judaism. They have three children, all of whom are being raised Jewish. They observe the Sabbath. Um, they, 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 by all rights and all measures, uh, uh, are are Jewish. And and I, you know, I'm sure that the president would say he loves all four of his children equally, but he probably loves his daughter just a little bit more than the others. And 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 so I think in, his excuse me yes no his older daughter uh, the the his Jewish daughter um, and and uh, and so I I have no reason to think that it's not completely and totally sincere. His problem is, and it wasn't unique to that question, is sometimes he. He he jumps to respond. He thinks he knows where somebody's going to go, doesn't know where they're going to go, um, and creates a, a doubly awkward uh, right. uh, kind of position. That was my take on, on, on Hold on, hold on, guys, 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 guys. We have a caller on the line. Hold on. Caller in the 314 area code. You're on with Backroom Politics. What's your question? My question is kind of a form of a statement. I think Trump is doing the right thing. He's probably stepped off, and I voted for him. I'm African-American. We vote for him again. I appreciate his efforts that he's done. I think he should go stronger, especially on illegal immigration. And he needs to keep to the promises that he made. As I said, I'm here in St. Louis. These groups, whether they're Jewish, Black Lives Matter, I don't think they deserve any special attention. If you give them special attention, then who's next? And who's next? And who's next? He needs to stick to doing his job, the job that we, the American citizens, put him there to do, and stay on course. That that, that is a fantastic observation, sir. I appreciate your call. Appreciate your comments. We're going to address that here offline. Thanks for the call. Please keep listening to Backroom Politics. Um, Justin, I, I got to go. Ken, Justin? Ken Carradine, go with it. So two things. Uh, one one item uh, that uh, I think was of note from the press conference last week was his um, conversation with April Ryan. Uh, April Ryan was a black reporter uh, who I think was was questioning him with regard to the president's uh, not having had a meeting with the Congressional Black Caucus as of yet, and he was also uh, unaware what the CBC, what the acronym CBC stood for. Well, you know what? Honestly, having Same having done, ha- having having done a couple of press conferences here and there, you know, sometimes sometimes acronyms 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 that you may not that you may that may be in the back of your head may not come immediately to mind. So I'll, I'll spot him some points on that. Where I'm going with this is, I think it was inappropriate for him to ask April Ryan if if she, as a reporter, would set up a meeting between uh, himself and the Congressional Black Caucus. And, and where I'm going with this is this. You know, I think this related to the comments that um, have already been made with regard to the president's inability to 
uh, in some people's opinions, uh, adequately uh, address the the, uh, the anti-Semitic acts that have been taking place in the country uh, over the better part of the last month or so. You know, I think, quite frankly, um, you know, one one thing that I would say is that a person may may be guilty of of having um, prejudice in their heart, not realize that that's really there. And and quite frankly, that's not any more forgivable than those who reach out and act in those prejudices in, in a direct manner. I, I think the president uh, is in an interesting situation now, and I think we're probably going to talk about this in the later segment where he he uh, he uh, has this war going on with the media. But he has not registered has not registered in his mind yet that everything that he says um, needs to be very 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 carefully articulated. And orchestrated to make sure that it has the effect that I think he wants to have. I think his going but, to the uh, national. Kenny, I think his going to the if national. If I can follow up on that, if I think if oh, oh, his going, I just, I just want to jump in here real quick. If Ken, you bring up a really good point, but here's the trick. The question is, when when we hear your statements, which I believe are absolutely true. Then we get, like what we heard from our last caller, you know, a black voter from St. Louis who calls up and says, look, I am all for Trump. What he is doing is right. What, you know, when do we start giving or when do we stop giving special privilege to certain segments of the community? When, where does that stop? Well, you know what? I think pro- extending the protections of the law. To people is not giving them special privilege, especially when people are going out of their way to go uh, out of their way to go after different minorities. That's not treating them any special. That's that's basically that's following his constitutional duties of of being the chief law enforcement officer of the country. And respectfully to the last caller, uh, I think that you know it, it, while I am I am very very happy to hear that 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 that, that Trump has support across all racial lines. I think it's also important to understand that not everyone uh, will act in a lawful and uh, uh, abiding manner toward everyone. And apparently that's not what's happening here, and I think there is a, a, a growing voice of discontent about the fact that the president, from their perspective, has not done enough to speak out against prejudice, especially along anti-Semitic lines. Yeah, and if I could follow up on that. So there's an issue on how the president's tone when these things are pointed out. He, at the top of his voice, in the angriest and bullying voice, and I'm comfortable saying that, will go off on on these other groups and other issues saying these people have been disenchanted and, and disaffected and left out of the conversation. And to his credit, he defends those folks. However... When he talks about things like anti-Semitism, when he talks about things like – I mean even going back to the, the – way back to the campaign, the John McCain, the, I, I, you know, he served honorably. The tone is so wildly different when he comes back to the table to say, yeah, he served honorably. It is not the same sort of full-throated defense of those people, of those issues. It is kind of the petulant child being forced to apologize. The, yeah, I'm sorry for that. I didn't mean it. Obviously, I really care about this. It, it's a very different tone. He doesn't jump on it. And if the anti-Semitism thing, and to the caller's point, 
if he had simply said, in this country, we do not tolerate going after anyone's religious faith. Yes, absolutely. An uptick in, in violence against the Jewish community will be looked into, whether or not it's against the Jewish community, the Muslim community, or the Christian community. This is unacceptable in this country. That would have been a strong, strong response. That isn't what he does, and consistently it's not what he does. But can I can I add a word here to uh, Justin? Because um, my, my my thought to the to the caller was was not unlike uh, uh, Ken's and Dan's. That is, we totally get that as president, we should not be surprised when Donald Trump uh, tries to do the th- some of the things that he talked about. Now, there's some he talked about a lot that are. They're not going to happen anytime soon, like repealing and replacing Obamacare, uh, cutting taxes. These things take time. They require uh, the involvement of uh, uh, of the Congress. Uh, they're complicated. They're challenging. He's working on them, uh, even building a wall. He can issue an executive order that will around the margins make a modest bit of difference, but there's no money to build a wall. So these are things that we, we ought not to be surprised that he's talking about or deportations, um, uh, whatever, however one feels about them. Having said that, when you are the president, and this is a reminder to the caller, um, when you're the president, you don't always get to pick and choose exactly what you talk about and when. You have to respond to events in the world and to events in our society and what was happening here with regard to the uh, to this strain of anti-Semitic behavior, including right in, in Missouri, um, but not just in Missouri, but in, in, in places around the country, the president has a duty to say the kinds of things that 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 Dan was saying, um, and if if it's if, if it's a racial issue, the president that that's popping up, creeping up, the president has a duty to speak out whether or or LGBTQ issues. The president has a duty. Public education, the environment. Transportation challenges. When so, if a bridge falls down somewhere, the president has a duty to talk about what's going on in the society and to be the defender of the Constitution but, but and Alan, the rights seems, for all Americans. But Alan, it seems, at least from my view, that he is constantly having to be pushed to say some of the things that we would normally expect coming out of the gate. You know, when you sit there, this is just... Uh, no, no, I don't disagree with you. I don't disagree at all, but this is a different president. This is a guy who doesn't come out of the conventional role of politicians who kind of knows what needs to be said, when, how to say it, and uh, he's got a circle of people inside who who are outsiders as well. That's not all bad, but in 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 many instances it becomes a problem when the the country would like some level of understanding, some level of comfort and he and and it's not natural to him. He resists. Yes, 
he has to be pushed. But some of it's it's some of it's not being pushed. It's to be educated, to remind, to inform, Mr. President, this is what you need to do. I remember when when he went up to Dover, Delaware to meet the family of the the soldier uh who who fell in in the in in the recent um mission um and and one there was you know one person died he and his his daughter Ivanka flew up there and had a private uh, conversation with the family you, it, it wasn't as though the president automatically knew he had to go he he may well have don't get me wrong but he would have been reminded, you need to do that, and you need to be respectful of whatever the family uh, wants. And he did, and he came back and talked about a very, uh, a, a very moving time with uh, a family who made this uh, the ultimate sacrifice. There are things that he's never paid a lot of attention to that he's going to have to learn. And he learns in fits and starts. Some stuff he seems to get, some stuff he doesn't seem to get, but... You know, that's what happens when when you, uh, as a country, elect somebody with so little experience that he has to learn this stuff uh, right. anew. Yeah, Fox that's, News is going to have to have a, a, uh, a presenting for dummies that airs at 3 a.m. Uh, so it might catch somebody who, who could use it. Wow. But but wait a minute. I, I want to go to I want to go to Ken Carradine on this because Alan's comments are very valid, very true. Are are we putting unfair expectations or are those of us in the commentary slash media world being unfair to President Trump? Admiral Ken. I don't don't think we're being unfair to President Trump. So just this last weekend, I I, uh, was with with a a large group of my soon-to-be new family, and I listened to them, and we'll talk about this in the next segment, uh, about them complaining about how hard the press is being on President Trump. And I said, well, you know, here's the deal. Um, so we've got 250, 260 years of, of precedent in place. Don't expect that to go away overnight. I don't think that we're being too hard on the president. I think if anything, it's like it's, – and I, this is the analogy that I use. You're, 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 you're going out for the high school football team. You've never played at the high school level before. But you know what? There's still 100 yards on the field, and you still got to go from one end to the other to get a touchdown. And they're not going to make it any easier on you because you're new. And it's the same thing at the collegiate level, and it's the same thing at the professional level. So welcome to the NFL, Mr. President. And he opted, and he opted into this. That's worth noting. So even, since we started with the Melbourne issue, in Melbourne he chose to mention quotes from both Thomas Jefferson and – uh, Teddy Roosevelt while they were president and their loathing of the press in while they were in office. Also worth noting, the both of them, one is the the principal protectors of the First Amendment and the importance of the press when they were not in office, and the other said the press was integral to the process of democracy. However, in Melbourne he chose only to highlight the part that said that the press cannot be trusted. See, look, Thomas Jefferson and Teddy Roosevelt both said so. Come on. You can't, you can't do that as president. If, it, if this were simply a moment of aggravation and not at, at a public speech kind of thing, I could completely understand that. But that's not his approach. 
he's he's selectively picking and choosing this this stuff. So it's unclear whether or not somebody fed him just that portion of it, and he's not curious enough to know the rest of the detail, or it's truly cynical, and he's choosing to misuse the history. Well, I have to say, I have to say, I'm amused at 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 Dan's indignation. Um, when when Thomas Jefferson used his, made made the comment that that Trump quoted, and we can go into the context if we want, doesn't matter. I I'm pretty confident that he didn't say, oh, but on the other hand, the press is really important too. You no, no, they were separated by history. The, You're absolutely right. You know, one was while he's in office, the other was not. You said it's. I don't agree with what he's doing with the press. Okay, but but I think it's absurd, frankly, to suggest that while he's pursuing his his showing his anger um, and and trying to stir up an audience uh, in a negative way towards the press, which I think is dangerous. I think it's pretty pretty ridiculous to suggest. Gee, Mr. President, don't you have a duty while you're trashing the press to come back around and say, but they're really, really wonderful and critical. I don't like what he's doing, but I but to to, to suggest that he has some duty to 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 say both sides it, it, it just runs contrary to human nature. That would be no. Like I'm suggesting saying, he doesn't know both the, sides. Well, wait, 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 wait. I. I you know, wait, wait, wait. You, 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 you like to read his. You like to to read his mind and his motives, um, and you may be right, but but uh, I try to be a little more humble than that about being how certain I am as to exactly what he's thinking <laughs> and when. We've got a caller, guys. We got a caller from the two two nine. Caller from the two two nine area code. You're on with backroom politics. What's your question? Hey, thank you. Um, my question to your panel is, uh, do you think that the office of the presidency is something that we, is something that you have to learn to win while you are in office uh, as time goes on, while all the stage of the world is watching? That's, a, that's, that's actually a very intriguing question. Thank you for your question, caller. Uh, let me start with Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken. Uh, what do you think? I mean, is yes. this something? Yes. Is this is this something yes. that you learn over time? Yes. If you go back, if you go back to the to the beginning days of every president, uh, at least in my memory, and I remember back as far as is, I guess realistically as far as uh, as Carter, but they are much better toward the end of their presidencies. At, at how they do things, at the trappings of the office, at the communication style, at the leadership, at the management of the office. At the, at, they're, they're much better at the end than they are at the beginning. I distinctly remember President Obama uh, going to the, 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 uh, the Navy Corpsman School and calling them corpsmen, okay? and he was summarily booed. But this is the same president you know, who, who, who some almost six years later – Held the U.S. military in pretty high reverence because he pretty much got it that you know there were people out there that were doing the job every day. I think he, I think at the beginning of his presidency, he got himself into a, a little snit uh, with uh, with Dr. Louis Gates when he had the beer summit. I don't believe that the same Barack Obama 
would have done that at the end of his presidency because he knew better than to involve himself in a civic matter at a very, very small town on the East Coast, regardless of whether the person was his friend acting like a jerk or not. So, I mean, these people got – they get better and better. Unfortunately, unlike the Navy, there is not a school to teach you how to be the president. Fortunately for the Navy, there's a school to teach you how to be an admiral, but nobody else does that. So, yeah, yeah, you have to learn how to do this. Let me let, – yeah, let, sure, as Ken says, you – no matter what your level of preparation – even if you were a vice president, for example, for eight years and observed up close, as Al Gore did, um, uh, for example, uh, as Joe Biden did, uh, as Dick Cheney did, those folks, those folks know a lot. But that does not mean that they are not going to learn a lot more when they get into the job. It's one thing to watch it up close. Uh, it's another thing to actually be the responsible person who makes the final call. Now, the, but, but having said that, experience does matter. It matters in almost every walk of life, in every job situation, in every state, local government, um, the more you know, the more experience you have, the better prepared you are to take on the responsibility. Knowing what you're doing, though, is no guarantee that you will do it well when you're in the job. So we've had people who served as, uh, as, as vice president who, who were pretty good presidents, and we've had others who weren't. So uh, the, 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 the thing we've got with Donald Trump, however, is really unique and different. We have somebody with virtually no historical experience in the public sector. He wasn't a senator. He wasn't a vice president. He wasn't a cabinet member. He wasn't a governor. He wasn't a mayor. Most of these people have some experience dealing with, with trying to figure out how to bring a whole group together and the common good, how to compromise, um, and and it's a it's a major experiment, if you will, a national experiment with with Donald Trump, and it's and it's actually quite an indictment in some ways of the of the the the, the normal way of doing things, the status quo where experience matters. You had this extremely experienced person in Hillary Clinton, and guess what? She lost to a person with. No related experience. I'm not saying his 70 years of life aren't important and don't matter. It's just that in terms of, of experience, uh, uh, being a, a, a governmental executive, he had zero. So, yes, let you learn. Actually, let, let, let me follow up on, on that one if I could. Hold on. I, you know, we, yeah. we talk about this, but at the same time that we hear about the learning curve, he stands up there with the head of state for Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, and says, you know what, one state, two state, whatever you guys want, whatever will work for you, going against the idea that, wait a minute, we, there's, there's been policy established from both Republican and Democratic presidents. That's not something you pull off on the fly. Going off and saying that Sweden has turned into 
South Central Los Angeles overnight because of immigrants is not something you do to an ally one, and that's not something you try and do. Is is the learning curve too steep for Donald Trump, or is well, this a matter of he has not surrounded himself enough with experienced people to keep him from falling in these pitfalls? Well, a few a few things on that. So the off off the cuff remarks. That's the kind of thing that advisors can't completely help you with because unless he's got you know a a uh, earpiece in like you are at an anchor desk and have somebody uh, managing what what's coming up next and can whisper something in your ear as far as the next question, there's no way staff can prep you for that. So the off the cuff remarks is 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 completely based on experience. Um, so that's one thing. And it's worth noting that he is not new to dealing with the press. He is sort of new to dealing with an adversarial press. I mean, he's been a public figure for, I believe, 40 to 50 years of his life, but he's never dealt with even because all of his companies are private. So he's only dealt with media in the sense of the Hollywood media, less the corporate media where, you know, share prices and stock prices respond to things you say, and if you misstate something, you will be punished in the stock market. As far as the Netanyahu item, and this I have to give the president a little bit of credit. He did have one other item. The one state, two state, redfish, bluefish uh, statement was a little odd. However, he did publicly tweak Netanyahu on the settlements, which was surprising to many people, especially in the in the Israel can do no wrong community, the the settlements in the West Bank, which are indefensible as far as anyone who believes in a two-state solution or that the Palestinians have any rights whatsoever, um, that publicly tweaking Netanyahu was worth noting. The one-state, two-state thing, I don't know. It's been argued that it, it was a way of saying, listen, we're going to make a regional issue uh, we we want the Saudis and everyone else to come come on board to help get the Palestinians on board. That's entirely plausible. I find it unlikely, but a plausible argument. Or it could have been simply the we need to move this ball forward, and it's a different approach. But I mean, there's a lot going on there. That yeah, some of the stuff needs to be learned, and some of the stuff he should know, and some of the stuff he needs to be he needs to he needs to have practice on and it's sort of inexcusable he chose to do this job he didn't act he didn't stumble into the presidency he worked for this and you would think that some of these items he would have learned along the way or at least had advisors prepping and coaching him along the way and to alan's point and i agree entirely that the vice president's while they're, they are present for a lot of it, it's different when you're on center stage. So I would point out the vice presidents that elevated to the presidency, um, George Herbert Walker Bush, it's hard for me to remember these kind of flubs. And while it's before my time, Gerald Ford also I don't think had those kind of flubs. So it, it's it's worth paying attention to that maybe the, the being – in government, there is a value to it. It's not simply it, – it's not a zero-sum game kind of thing. Dan, this is Ken. I, I recommend that you uh, go back and catch some Saturday Night Live reels of Gerald Ford 
and uh, Chevy Chase's uh, impersonations of him. Falling down well, is not something that can be can, can, can falls, be learned. Like, press falls are not. <laughs> but but I, I wanted to add something on uh, uh, on the, the 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 meeting with or the 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 joint press conference with with Netanyahu because because I I agree with with Dan that it was. Uh, it was it was pretty fascinating when he just sort of turned on the on the dime, and he is prone to do this. Um, this wasn't st- this wasn't staff. Um, this was him saying, you know, you could slow up on the the uh, uh, the settlements a bit, and that that might help. And and then Yahoo even kind of smiled. I mean, and, and, and Trump sort of smiled. It was it was just kind of gigging him a little. In terms of the two state versus one state, I continue to be surprised at, at how uh, powerful the pushback was on the president when he said that, because what I heard him say was two state or one state, whatever the parties can agree to could work for me. Now, I don't think a one state solution is in the cards has a prayer in hell of of uh, getting getting agreed to um, by the by the Palestinian side, but it, all he was basically saying, and this is very much Donald Trump, the businessman, Donald Trump doing a deal, Donald Trump the transaction, saying, "Hey, you guys are the ones that have to decide. If you can find a solution, let's hear it." It's probably fine. Two yeah. state, one state. It was casual. It was a little careless, but it wasn't just crazy. He wasn't endorsing a one state. He was saying, "If you guys can agree, I'm probably with, I'm probably there with you." Right, but Alan, at the same point, at the same time, you know, he's he's talking out of both sides of his mouth when he sits there and says, "Yeah, one state, two state, whatever you guys come to an agreement with." Hey, just come to an agreement, and then you know we have about as much chance of there being a one-state solution as we do of moving the moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem. I think the well, odds of moving the, moving the embassy to Jerusalem are much much higher, and also not absolutely helpful to the process. Right. Well, well that may be again, true. He, that, you know, he's simply saying if whatever you guys can agree to. Um, <laughs> that's what matters. It's what the parties can agree to. So I, I didn't, it, it, you know, it didn't, I, it, it didn't sound just it, given him where he comes from looking for a deal. Hey, you guys are the ones who have to agree, whatever you can agree yeah. to, to two states, one state. It's, there's, there's sort of a carelessness yeah. about it. But I don't see any great damage associated with it, and and all this right. the well, the heated response intrigued uh, Guys, we're going to take a break real quick. Uh, when we come back, we're going to continue discussion because we haven't even touched. We're still talking about the press conference. We haven't even touched what happened in Melbourne. We're going to do that, and we're going to integrate in the discussion about the relationship with the media uh, and how that's going to formulate over the next four to eight years. But, as always, this is the best political talk show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics, normally broadcasting from the National Press Club in the heart of your nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This week, remote from Charleston, South Carolina, Southern California. And, of course, 
holding down the fort at the National Capital Region. Admiral, I'm in uh, charge here. Dan Littner. Dan, you're in charge here. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> Hay. Dan Lipner and Alan Moore holding down the fort up in D.C. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us. politics. We'll be back momentarily. Stay with us. Shout-outs to 
uh, the National Press Club for at least having us come in and broadcast the best political talk show you've never heard of live from there. Hey, uh, we're going to continue the discussion regarding Donald Trump, the odd press conference from a week ago, and his uh, odd uh, rally, campaign rally in Melbourne, Florida, caught holding patiently. Uh, caller in the 225, you're on with Backroom Politics. What's your question? Oh, so great to get here. So, um, you know, I was, I was a big fan of you guys, actually. Uh, and so when I was listening to the one in Melbourne, I had a couple of questions on mine. Now, as for myself, I, I agree with Trump on some things and disagree with him. But for me personally, the one thing I always ask myself is how big of a penis does he have? <laughs> well, you, know you know what? I gotta tell you, I'm glad that I'm glad that every once in a while we can get the Baba Booey crowd. Um, let, let's, you know, I, 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 we can make the comments of big hands, small hands that we want. Uh, Dan, Alan, Ken, you guys want to take that that question from the caller? Nope. No. Nope. Okay. Dan, Dan, enjoying this way too much. Hey, uh, let's get back to Melbourne here real quick. Um, When we talk about uh, the situation in Melbourne, the the thing that kind of struck me was his ability to double down on everything. He's doubled down on immigration. He has doubled down on the fight with the media. He has doubled down on straining ties with our two closest allies. Uh, It's gotten to the point now where he's doubled down so much that as of yesterday, where's House of Commons was, was debating taking or was debating a petition that was taken up by the House to have Prime Minister Theresa May rescind the state visit invitation to Donald Trump. So this goes back to, and I'll start with Alan Moore. Alan, how how far can Donald Trump push the envelope, and how often can he double down on that, that envelope before we start seeing the kickback from our allies, or are we already starting to see it? Well, sir, we're already starting to see it. We we see it in the uh, in comments of uh, members of parliament in uh, in heads of state who are distancing themselves. Uh, the debate in parliament about whether to rescind an invitation. Um, it it's uh, <laughs> it it's partly about Donald Trump, but it's partly about. Uh, the the Western culture, which is may has got fewer and fewer rules of comportment, and more and more people can say whatever they want, and there's no real penalty for doing it. In fact, you may be rewarded uh, if you if you say the outlandish. Now, I'm not, you know, uh, a parliamentary debate is uh, is. <laughs> Is interesting. It, it's sort of unique to uh, to the United Kingdom. Um, and uh, if 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 Donald Trump pays any attention, I don't know. He probably thinks 
hey, they're talking about me, and uh, and I've got their attention, and that's just fine with me. I have I, I have no idea how that one will will play out. The the fact of the matter is, though, our president needs to travel. He needs to to uh, to receive and uh, to be received uh, around the world. Talk about how you learn. Uh, nothing like uh, uh, going to international meetings and and having it be your meeting and the things you say really matter because you're representing the country. It's a little daunting. It can be exhausting. Um, Screw-ups are sometimes magnified, um, but uh, uh, you you hopefully start with with our friends um, where – uh, people will get to get get a little bit used to your behaviors and maybe not just freak out if you say something that is uh, uh, outside the historic norms of of what's allowed. Dan Lipner. Yeah, no, I pretty much agree with Alan on this point. I don't know if I have anything to add. Ken, you want to you want to add to this at all? Well, I'll just say this. Um, the thing uh, that that troubles me is that um, President Trump has said a number of things um, over the last uh, year and a half or so um, that have got a number of our allies, you know, really concerned. As much as um, people in the White House might want to think that Russia poses less of a threat today than they did, say, even six months or six weeks ago. Uh, I, I, the, I, I don't believe there's, there's, there's uh, realistic proof of that. So when you're, when you're Germany, uh, when you're Czechoslovakia, when you're France, which has been invaded so many times, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't even count, and you're worried about you know, NATO staying in place, which is a real deterrent to, uh, um, to Russian aggression, then I think the, the – the concern over the the way the our, our allies, our current allies, receive the president's comments need to be taken into account. There needs to be some 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 concern there. I mean, I mean, are we making too much of Donald Trump's comments about Sweden and the response by the Swedish government? Are we making too much out of it, or should we be concerned about that? Please start with Dan Littner. If it were a one-time thing and we were not able to simply track it back to something he had seen on Fox News, regardless of how credible the actual piece may have been, if it were just once, yeah, I'd say you know everyone can, can make a mistake once and misinterpret something. But he does this time and time again. And the fact that he is the president of the United States and literally has access to any information that is available, he can pick up the phone, and some of the best advisors and people in the world will, if not returning his call directly, one of his people's calls because the White House would simply like this information. It wouldn't take much to run something to ground and for the president to be able to speak intelligently on it within two hours. That's not what happens. He, he shoots something off. He, pull, he fi- shoots from the hip, regardless of what the facts might actually be, because he seems unconcerned with what those facts actually are. So, yeah, I think it's something to be concerned about, especially since 
it's not just reality television viewers paying attention to this. It's actually allies that seem to have some legitimate concerns. Alan Moore, let me go to you on this. You know, when we see the situation in the Swedish comments and the issues with Canada, Mexico, now Great Britain, uh, the issues that we now have with China and regarding Taiwan and the one China issue, um, it, it seems to me that, and, and this goes to a bigger question, I think, Alan, is it odd that we're seeing uh, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, and uh, Secretary Mattis as Secretary of Defense, and Secretary Kelly as Secretary of Homeland Security, pretty much contradicting comments by the president in public to our allies. Is, there, is that what is leading the media to jump on this bandwagon that the administration may be in chaos, or are we reading too much into it? Well, I, I'm... I don't know about I, I don't know about the chaos thing. What I what I'm seeing though, what I'm sensing is that 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 more and more in America and around the world, people are realizing that Donald Trump is different, that he's not disciplined, that he that he uh, uh, speaks off the top of his head. He makes connections um, with what he knows and what he observed. The Sweden one being a. a a perfect example because uh, he has talked before about uh, about Western Europe and how it basically opened its doors um, without much filtering uh, to hundreds of thousands of refugees about whom those governments knew virtually nothing. Um, and uh, he and many others, including many people in those countries, think there are dangers uh, associated with that. So you start with that premise that he's talked about. Then, then what we know is he sees a little thing on TV the night before, and maybe he's watching closely, but probably not watching that closely. He's probably reading, talking, who knows? And suddenly this thing pops up, and there's some visuals of some people saying, Sweden has got a huge problem with uh, the the numbers of of un, uh, unvetted refugees that it took in, and there's some images of of fires or damage, he puts one and you know puts two and two together in his own mind. It's like oh, and now it's Sweden again. He gets confused about the fact that it was last night because that's what he said yesterday in Sweden. Well, it was last night a a controversial uh documentary that that uh, uh has been mostly but all if although not entirely discredited. So there's this it's again this kernel of truth that he wants to convey and he he doesn't have the the discipline um the experience to get it exactly right. He's, he's, he's lived a life where, where for 70 years he didn't have to get everything exactly right, and there was no real penalty for getting it wrong if he was kind of right. And now what he's experiencing is again and again and again he's getting hammered 
for getting it wrong, he's he's trying to shoot the messenger, which is typically the press. But at the same time, yeah, he doesn't like to be ridiculed. He doesn't like to be to be made uh, to look like he doesn't know what he's talking about. He 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 hates that. So so one wonders: is he going to evolve? Alan, but here's, and, here's what comes at me. But uh, when I see this, okay, when I see General Mattis going to Iraq and saying, you know what, we're not going to take over all the oil. When I see General Kelly saying that we're going to only do what is constitutionally allowed in the travel ban, and when I see... Rex Tillerson having to kind of off-play something that came out of the president's mouth. It reminds me when I was a kid. I would go up to my father and go, hey, Dad, can I do such and such? And he would say, go ask your mother. It, it seems like to me Rex Tillerson, General uh, Mattis, and General Kelly are, in fact, mom, that we have to go ask them for final permission before we or after we go ask Dad, because all Dad's going to say is, did you ask your mother? And, and does that lend credibility to our president? I mean, we can literally let well, him I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not buying the mom-dad thing. What I'm, what, I'm, what I'm seeing is that that the president will say something, and it will create questions and confusion. It used to create fear. When he first, months ago during the campaign, took some big heavy-duty shots at NATO, everybody thought, oh, my God, is America reassessing the whole NATO alliance? And he started to he, – he, he backed off of that. And then we, we heard Pence in Munich just days ago say, I'm here. They said, who should we listen to, you or the president? He said, the president instructed me to come here and make it crystal clear that we – completely believe in NATO and the NATO alliance. And then he might say, as Mattis said, now we think you, we, we think you guys have to do more. You guys have to, you guys have to, to, to up, up your level of contribution. What, what is, what's happening around the world is countries will hear Trump's and, and this is true in America too. They will hear the president say stuff and then they will say, instead of, Oh my God! Did you hear that? We're screwed. It's wow. I wonder what that really means. We're gonna. It's gonna take a while for further clarification, whether it's from the White House or from one of these these uh, 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 cabinet members, particularly defense or state, to provide some. Or John McCain, if he's traveling over there, or the vice president. To give further clarification, it, the, the the president's words are are increasingly uh, subject to reinterpretation and clarification. That's not a particularly good thing, no, it's but not. it's what's evolving not, here. Well, Alan, and to that, that point, hold on, hold on. That is not a healthy situation to have credibility in the Oval Office. Am I wrong in this, Ken? I don't think so. Uh, I, I, you know, like I said, you know, when we when I was responding to the, the previous caller, uh, I think the, the office of the presidency 
is not just one that affects um, people here in the United States, but we've got a we're, we're we're global power, and what our leader says has uh, consequences. It has effects on what other people do, and I think that the ability for the president to speak with clarity um, and not speak in an off the cuff manner um, that might be taken as casual or uh, or not serious. Um, by foes and, and allies alike does no one any good. It just makes the Foreign Service Organization have to work that much harder. It makes the military have to plan that much uh, further. It goes on and on and on. It, it, there's no one who's going to say this is a great thing, least of all me. What I am saying, though, is that we're moving towards a new normal where until the president can can get this stuff straight and right the first time and the second time and the third time, what's, what's happening now is instead of taking him at his literal word, there is this, these questions. If it's just off the wall, if it's inconsistent with U.S. policy, we wonder. Where we used to think, oh, my God, a change in policy. Now it's, wow, I wonder what the real answer is. I wonder what we're, we're seeing another example of top of his head, off the cuff, inconsistent talk. We need more clarification. And you know that that embassies uh, uh, all over the world are saying, calling calling their counterparts and saying, "What now? What's that mean? What should we what, what should we assume that means?" And the embassies are saying, "You know, we're we're working on getting some additional clarification." Uh, it's not a great way to operate, but we're having to get used to, as I say, this new normal, and we'll see where we end up six months from now. So that's Dan the Lepner. real question, though. So, so the NATO issue, and I've been when the way back when President Obama was still in office and the Libya campaign was going on. I remember on the show being beside myself that our NATO allies couldn't muster together the equipment to handle the incursion in in Libya, it, to which the 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 fact that our our NATO allies have not been contributing their allotted portion to the collective defense that is NATO, that that drove me out of my mind and really frustrated me. The real question is whether or not the president is actually you know, taking a chapter from his book, The Art of the Deal, and disrupting and trying to, to get people involved and to, to get a better deal for the United States. To be clear, I am very skeptical of that argument. Or if, if Secretary Mattis, when he goes to Europe and says we, 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 are, tr- we're, we are going to reinvestigate um, our commitment or, or our veracity with NATO, whether or not that's taking lemons and making lemonade for an act, accidental Machiavellian moment. I am kind of more on that side of the argument, and I'm absolutely with Alan and Ken. This is not the best way of going about it. However, the question is, which is true? And when, is it, when does it affect us in a way that isn't academic, that it's a real-time decision-making and it's not an academic policy process that's going to evolve over time, but real time when things are going to happen at the spur of the moment. Arguably, that was the, the immigration uh, executive order that was a 
shoot from the hip and without vetting it with anyone because we can just do this. We know everything. And lo and behold, the thousands of men and women in, uh, in the federal government that need to implement this, there are actually policy questions. And maybe if you have professionals involved, you can do this the right way. I don't know which is true, but I come down on the, the, the lemons and lemonade and accidental, accidental Mach, Machiavellian side of things. Although, Ken, doesn't this put the senior leadership in DOD and the flag officer corps in an awkward position as to, you know, what do we do here? Well, you know, I guess the, 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 the bottom line answer to that question is yes. So I'll follow up by saying seldom uh, has it been my experience that we've gotten a crystal set of choices uh, on which to, uh, to conduct planning. Uh, there, there's, there's never been, you know, just this, this, this crystal clear way of a uh, crystal clear uh, approach of doing things. I mean, if you go back to nine 11, uh, yeah, Al Qaeda, um, you know, hit us, but boy, they're all over the place. Where do we go first? You know, who do we go after? How do we go after them? So I, I think that, um, most most of the senior leadership in the military, we we've I think we've grown accustomed to the fact that we have to plan for an uncertain world, and that the world is never going to be as certain as we would like it to be. So keep working, fellows and and, and, and ladies. We we we've got we've got uh, a world to deal with, and 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 people are going to look to us to do, to deal with things when it happens. Alan Moore. Um. Yeah, I, I I have to take some solace in the fact that we're we we elected somebody very different, and we're one month in. They have screwed up some things pretty badly. They've gotten some other things right. Um, when they screw up, uh, what do they do the next time? We were waiting this week for a new executive order. Uh, on uh, on immigration, we had the anger, we had the discrediting of the courts, um, we had the the what felt a little bit like uh, chicken little warnings that the sky was falling and the the, the dangers were imminent, um, and then we had more reason. And then there was thought about you know we'll see you in court, uh, we'll appeal this thing, uh, and then others saying you know if it really is urgent. We should redo the executive order. We should do this time what we could have done the first time um, and get it right. And we we are likely to see uh, a new executive order. It will be scaled back. It will have been vetted inside the system. If It will be uh, issued and released, and the, the, the folks in the field will know what the, what the rules are, what the ground rules are, or pretty much know. Um, and it will likely, if it's challenged in court, which is likely, it will likely uh, uh, prevail this time. It's the it and, and people will eventually forget whatever they think of the the merits. Um, will forget the uh, uh, the initial disastrous uh, rollout. Um, uh, that uh, the I'll, I'll say this for the president and he there was this truth throughout the campaign and we used to comment it all the, on it all the time. Every surprise and every uh, mistake, every embarrassment, every outrage um, 
it, uh, always seemed to go away because something new came up. It, it most 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 issues just didn't have legs because it was uh, something new within days that would uh, that would be even more sort of amazing and outlandish. Um, yeah, and, new uh, bad, not new good. I'm not saying it was new good, although in this case, at least we've got. Uh, uh, you know, a government that's slowly uh, that's slowly coming together, and we've also got just from a purely political standpoint, um, uh, a bunch of Democrats who who are overreacting uh, and 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 creating a little bit of sympathy, at least from the Trump people. Um, and then you've got a media we haven't talked about that yet. I hope we do. Um, that that is also uh, uh, prone. Uh, to over respond so we've we've still got this uh this uh, pendulum swinging wildly back and forth um but uh hopefully for the sake of all of us uh meaning all of us in this country uh the the the, the president will uh will learn his team will learn his he will get more and more people in place um they will they will learn from their mistakes um and uh and will and and we'll be able to have a, some something closer to a, uh, an equilibrium where we're not just this being thrashed around like we're 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 not strapped down in the back of a of a police van careening through the streets. But the president has well, said the White House is running like a like a finely tuned machine. There obviously have been no mistakes. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that in a second because I mean, let, let's talk a little bit about the issue with the media. Uh, the, the president this past week, whether it was in Melbourne, whether it was during the press conference, whether it's been through various interactions with the media, uh, has done everything from try to discredit uh, the sources that are CNN, New York Times, ABC, CBS, NBC. Uh, he has literally blown the media out as fake news. Uh, he is very selective, obviously, in his press engagements on who he will pick. Traditionally, AP, uh, your first pick in most press rooms. Uh, now Donald Trump and his comms team can pick anybody from Christian Broadcasting to the uh, Tulsa world depending on which speaks more favorably of said president. Uh, let's look at big picture. Uh, Dan Lipner, this back and forth, this, you know, tete-a-tete between the White House and the media, in a time where you think that the 24-hour media is the cause and pretty much created what we now see as a Trump presidency, how does it, how does the media continue to look at Donald Trump and say, well, he he doesn't get it. He needs us. He's got to have us, and without us, he's lost. How do how does the American public view this back and forth? I mean, that's a hard question since the average member of the American public has no trust in the media. However, the distinguishing real media uh excuse me real reporting versus commentary people also have challenges distinguishing one from the other i would argue that the mainstream media needs to take itself much 
much more seriously, and that includes Fox News. And most noteworthy, and I need to give a shout-out to Fox News, when Chris Wallace pushed back on Reince Priebus uh, about the media challenging the White House, Chris Wallace said, that's our job. We're not a spokespeople for the administration. We're the press, and we're supposed to be adversarial. Good job from a member of the Fox News team. Uh, not a commentator. Chris Wallace is actually a legitimate reporter and a legitimate host of a legitimate uh, Sunday morning you know, talk, talk talk show uh, on politics and policy. So as, he deserves as, credit for hey, that. Dan, yep. Dan, as opposed to me, who is an illegitimate host of an illegitimate uh, political show on an illegitimate network? No comment. Uh, <laughs> I think we, I think we, uh, I think we should give Dan credit for choking out those words, which had to be very hard to say anything at all that was in any way kind or complimentary uh, to Fox News. Um, so way to go, Dan. Way to you know you'll have to go wash your mouth out later, but but uh, I, I, I commend you uh, for that. The, the the president has. He he really 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 hates criticism when he thinks and he and he's surrounded by some folks who hate criticism and they and they and they really hate uh, news stories or pack stories pack journalism that they feel is unfair and biased and you know here again. Sometimes, in my humble opinion, sometimes they have a point. Oftentimes they don't. They were really furious in these recent days, and you saw this with previous uh, stops on uh, uh, on Sunday, and you saw it in the in uh, Sunday morning, and you saw it in the press conference, where there were two things that inf- that absolutely infuriated them because they were national stories covered by almost everyone that they felt were just plain wrong. The first one being this, the allegation that, that uh, campaign officials or advisors to the, to the president, uh, to president, to the Trump campaign were in contact with Russian intelligence over the course of the last year. They don't believe it's true. And they've had their own conversations, according to Priebus with, with the FBI and others, so they think not only that it that it that it wasn't true, but they, in their mind, they know it wasn't true. Secondly, on right on the heels of that was a was a Wall Street Journal story that said that the intelligence com- the people in the intelligence community were not fully sharing information with the president because they couldn't trust what he would do with it. They were outraged by that and they by those reports, and they believe they were that, that, that they're wrong. Uh, CIA Director Pompeo said that's not true. Um, so what, when, and what Priebus is saying, this stuff that's out there, it, it goes it, it, it moves like wildfire. And we in the White House, we meaning Priebus and the, and the White House team, spend 48 hours doing little else but trying to push back on and kill these stories, which we believe do not reflect reality in any way, shape, or form. So it's, it's important to understand 
what they're angry about. It's not it's not just gee the White House is sloppy or it doesn't have its act together. It's some of these stories that cut to the to to the the core of who they are and how they operate and that become these massive diversions. So I'm not I, I'm I sit here trying to understand why are they so angry and some of this is just getting used to what every White House in our in our history has had to deal with stories you don't like. Sometimes the stories are right, but they're not always right. And we've got a very arrogant, often sloppy, uh, much more so than it used to be uh, press. They're all racing each other. And then you've got all these leakers uh, in, in the, in the, in the executive branch in the white house, in the intelligence agencies. Um, and, and, and some of those people have good information. Some of them don't. Who knows? Um, and and uh, and and the, the the White House is outraged at stuff that they believe in their heart is just plain wrong, and they resent every minute they have to spend trying to shoot it down. And meanwhile, the arrogant press is: we know what we're doing. We're smarter than you guys. Our job is to 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 keep track of you folks to hold you to account. Yeah. And if we screw up every now and then we'll apologize. And then we want everybody to forgive us. And we move to the next one. It's a, there's a lot of tension. They did get a, they did get a scalp at, at this point, the, the arrogant wrong press Flynn is now the, the ex NSA um, based on the fake media and fake reporting. However, the white house would have you think otherwise. I mean, it's not as though it's without without any credibility. Well, remember what got us Flynn, what, what, what killed Flynn. Flynn misled the vice president of the United States. And when the vice president of the United States spoke on a talk show and, and made reference to his conversation with Flynn, it was in, it was in error. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the Flynn behavior that killed him. It wasn't the fact that that behavior was reported. It was the fact that he was not honest with the vice president and it didn't take the press to do that. That was Flynn's It did, uh, it did most certainly take the press. It did most certainly take the press. The fact that the White House knew about this, including the president and the chief of staff, prior to the press reporting any of it, before anything happened, it was more than a month separating the two events. In addition to that, the little shoe, regardless of the Logan Act, involved with that is also a question of whether or not he lied to the FBI in the process of doing his own background check for a security clearance, which is absolutely a crime, regardless of the Logan Act. So which has nothing to do with I, the I know the White that's House between him that. and the, that's between him and the FBI. I mean he's in, he's got a lot of explaining to do to the FBI. He may have lied to the FBI. That is a felony. Um, if they if it's if it's proved and and prosecuted, um, all, all I'm saying is that 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 Flynn's demise came about because because of lying inside. There are plenty of other people inside the White House who are have some suge- explaining are you to do too. Flynn, Flynn would have resigned had it not been reported. Is that what you're suggesting? No, I'm well. What, what what I'm suggesting is that that it would have caught up with him inside the White House, and he would have been out no matter what. That's what I'm saying. 
That's not the, but yeah, but Alan, here's the problem with that, is that is not the message that we get from Trump in the press conference. It's the media's fault. I didn't say that. It I, is no, 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 no. This even I, I, I didn't. I didn't say that was. I didn't say that was the president's message. I'm saying that that was gonna. That that would have. That that would have built up regardless. And maybe it would have been the press that would have brought it forward. But but there was no concealing the fact that Flynn misled the vice president and then it was allowed to fester for a couple of weeks before it got corrected. And it, it did get corrected because there were, there, there were leaks, no question about this, about the, the fact that they knew about conversations that, that the conversations that Flynn had had with, with the ambassador. But, but what we learned later was, before the press knew that, White House counsel knew that. White House counsel was informed by then-acting Attorney General Sally Yates um, and the FBI. That thing, was, that thing was percolating and brewing. The timing was most definitely affected by the press. Uh, but, if I may. But, but the facts were... were were bubbling and emerging, and I and I think would have would have would have would have come to the fore regardless. We go to Ken Caradine. Ken, go ahead. Uh, I it, it pains me to do this, but I've got to go with Dan on this. <laughs> you know, if nothing else, this whole Flynn um, uh, situation proved that. Um, and, and and Alan's right that that Sally Yates uh, had informed. White House that the FBI had recordings of Flynn saying things that he had basically told the vice president he didn't say. However, I think the fact that the that the press got on this bicycle and continued to ride it and ride it hard at you know at, at uh, full speed, uh, I think proved that that uh, President Trump uh, definitely has an ear toward what's going on in the media. He watches the media, and and, and uh, he may have disdain for them. And he may not he may not like the fact that they're not acting uh, as a megaphone for him, but he reacted to that, and I think that's probably one of the main reasons that General Flynn had to go. That being said, um, I think you know, and I alluded to this earlier in the in the show, um, the president has has found a way to to um, uh, inject his animosity toward the press into a lot of his following. Uh, I even had someone this weekend try to basically say that all the stuff that he is doing is a distraction so he can go do other things. Uh, and I said, you know what? I'm sorry. I don't think this president or any president before him, again, I don't think this president or any president before him was that smart or that clever. I think what's going on here is that this White House uh, has come from a very, very unconventional, uh, uneducated uh, perspective and how things work at this level, and they are basically being forced to to to, uh, to play the same game that the predecessors had to play, and that part of that game is dealing with an adversarial press. One of the comments that was made, other comments that was made this weekend in the family gathering, is that the press is harder on President Trump than they were on President Obama, and I said, yeah. So what's your point? Uh, I still believe the press has a liberal bent. 
that they will always be a little bit harder on the Republican or conservative side than they will be the Democrat, but that's just the way it is. And if you know that going in, then that means that you need to be doubly smart and doubly assured that the message that you're broadcasting can be done in a manner that will not blow up in your face, such as a, a number of these have done so far. Well, I want to give you, I'm going to let that be the last word here uh, on on this uh, on the show this week because we're coming up to ten minutes before the end of the show, and you know, with us being in a new venue at the National Press Club and us eventually going to a new venue and video uh, and, and, and a little bit of a format change, I decided, you know what, I want to retire, tell me a story. And instead of tell me a story, because we have so much to cover, this week I'm starting a new segment called What Didn't We Cover? What Did We Miss? So we're going to go around the table and we're going to talk about a story that we did not bring up on the subject this week. And we missed it and give everybody two minutes to talk about that story, and we may even bring it up in a future show. So I want to start with the first. What did we miss this week goes to Dan Lipner. Dan, what do we miss? Yes, if only I had time to prepare for this, which I did not. Uh, so <laughs> off the top of my head, there is a small item in the Wall Street Journal, of all places, liberal rag, um, talking about the Trump administration uh, floating a proposal on, tr- on changing how the, how the trade surplus or deficit, in our case deficit, is uh, interpreted. And part of that change would be the reimportation of parts versus non-reimportation. So that would mean items that are brought in as for trade but are part of something larger. So but the Boeing 787 that Donald Trump uh, was at the Boeing plant in South Carolina talking about in part of uh, American trade, but including on that, that there are several parts that are made internationally and how that is used to, to calculate the trade deficit or trade surplus. And as I recall, the, the Wall Street Journal reporting that the Trump administration is suggesting changing the interpretation of only talking about dropping the things that are re-exported. So if the landing gear is imported, that isn't counted if it is exported. However, not doing the same. So if an American part is exported for a part that is then re-exported from a, a neighbor that would not be counted. So therefore recalculating the trade deficit or surplus. So I thought that was a little interesting item in the world of economic geekdom. Alan Moore, what so, did we miss? <laughs> I think there was a reason that we missed the subject Dan just talked on. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> and I think there would be a benefit. There's, I think there's a benefit in, in, as Dan said, having a little opportunity ahead of time to think about that about this one. Um, I know, but, so but part of, what? Part of it is oh, the surprise. What's what's what's? I know you just like that that am that that being the ambush type journalist. Um, so <laughs> it, what 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 we're beginning to see the now? The politics. Is, 
That's right. There's, there's nothing there's, there's nothing unique to this other than that it's only our second show and we haven't really had a chance to talk about it and we will have much more. But but the rise of the Tea Party of the left is just fascinating. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. The uh, the 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 indivisible folks, the action folks, the uh, left leaning so liberals who like to call themselves progressives. Um, who are raising holy hell in uh, in town meetings, not just for Republicans, uh, although they're certainly doing that, um, but for Democrats as well. They're angry. They're emboldened. Um, they're ticked off that uh, Donald Trump is the president. Um, they're ticked off that Bernie Sanders wasn't the candidate um, uh, on the Democratic side. Um, they're mad as hell. They're not going to take it anymore. They're they're. They're showing up at meetings. They're waiting for hours. They're uh, they're not polite. Uh, they're demanding. They're yelling. Um, it's uh, it's uh, it's it's a strange uh, a, another swing of the pendulum um, where uh, uh, there are these eerie parallels with uh, with just not that many years ago when the tea, when the Tea Party was rising up and. Uh, It'll it will it, it remains to be seen uh, how this plays out. Um, we all many of us thought that the Tea Party would overplay its hand and create a sympathetic response. It's entirely possible that if uh, if Democrats uh, yell uh, yell to silence uh, Republicans and and we we have fist fights at town halls. Who knows what's what's going to happen. Um, it's uh, what goes around comes around, I guess. And here's just one more example. Admiral Ken, what did we miss this week? So I think, uh, and I'm going to ambush you, Justin, in, in return. Um, uh, the the Veterans Administration is under under new leadership. Um, Secretary Shulkin, who is an Obama holdover, uh, has been placed in charge. Uh, since that happened. Um, the, um, the Veterans Administration leadership has gone to the White House and had a meeting. However, uh, they didn't invite their customers or the voice of their customers, which is the Veterans Service Organization, to that meeting. So I, I think it would be interesting to talk about what's gone on over there uh, and what, what, what major changes in strategy um, have, have, uh, have been announced, if any. And, and, and I, I ambush you by saying I think at least once a month we need to visit this, this subject in detail. Um, I, I think that one of the one of the key tenets of President uh, Trump's campaign was that he was going to take care of the vets. He's going to take care of the vets. Well, I can tell you right now, I'm uh, I'm waiting. And and again, I am I'm a good loyal Republican, but I'm waiting for that to happen, and I need some evidence of it. Fair enough. We'll take it up. We'll definitely take it up. Uh, with that, uh, on behalf, first of all, I want to say thank you to uh, Alan Moore. Dan Lipner and Ken Carradine. Guys, thanks for thanks for being on the air remotely. Uh, Ken, safe travels to you back from Southern California. Uh, Dan and Ken, we will. I mean, uh, Dan and Alan and Ken, we'll see you at our new venue live next week from the National Press Club in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington D.C. We will be there same time, same channel. Um, other than that, folks. Have a great week. Stay active. Keep your voice heard. And keep calling in and listening to the best political talk show 
you've never heard of, Backroom Politics Live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll see you next week. This is Backroom Politics.